0: Have your Bibles this evening, and I hope that you do. I hope that you'll find the book of Zechariah with me. And if you're sitting next to someone that can find that, you should feel blessed uh, because you have a person that knows their Bible. And if you don't know where it's at, uh, today is a good day to start knowing and memorizing those books of the Bible. Uh, we are almost done with our study through the uh, Old Testament minor prophets. Uh, This is a book I really think each church should go uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through. Um, But for the sake of time, we do not have that. Um, But uh, the word Zechariah, the name means the Lord remembers. And if you were with us uh, the last time we were together on Sunday night, and we looked at the prophet Haggai, this is the same time period. The children of Israel have started to come back to the promised land. The temple has been built uh, in part, but yet the walls are not done. Uh, A lot of the work is not complete, and the people got sidetracked. And they went to build their own houses and build their own uh, personal gains, and the Lord sent Haggai to them to correct them. If you remember, a strong word of rebuke that this should not be this way. God should not be second fiddle. His purposes and plans for our life. His goal, glory is the focus. Um, and it was a strong rebuke. Zechariah comes at the same time period, ministering to the same people, but it is more of a message of hope. A message of hope. The Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. Because anytime you and I get corrected, anytime that we are uh, lost our way, uh, any time that we are frustrated, it's easy to forget... The Lord remembers. We look at other people, we look at our situations, and we get discouraged. uh, Because honestly, let's just be honest. uh, We're living in a fallen, sinful world. And people and situations can just really suck the life out of us. But when we turn our eyes to the Lord, He is faithful. Now I said all that because Zachariah was faithful in his ministry of encouragement to the people. But yet he faced a terrible Fate. If you're familiar with the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus actually tells the religious leaders of his day, do you not remember what you did to this man? It was such a horrific and awful act that Jesus specifically says when talking about how the children of Israel had refused the prophets, they had refused the correction of God, they refused to listen, that this one event especially stood out in Matthew chapter 23 starting in verse 34 Jesus speaking to them says therefore indeed I send you prophets wise men and scribes some of them you will kill and crucify and some of them you will scourge in the synagogues and persecute from city to city that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth for the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah son of Berechiah whom you murdered between the temple and the altar assuredly I say to you all these things will come upon you this generation they didn't just murder this guy on the street They didn't try to throw him off the edge of a town cliff. They brought him right down in front of the altar, in the temple, in the holy place of God, and murdered him because they grew tired of hearing the message of God. You said, but Jake, it was a message of encouragement. It was a message that God won't forget you. Look up here. When your heart grows bitter to the things of God, the message does not matter. Hatred sees no message. It always seems a target to attack. That's why we know the Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We might have disagreements. We might have problems. We might have arguments. We might have these things. But it's never directed at two people. You are just always the object of that hatred. The object of that bitterness. The object of that And so a man whose name the Lord is remembered was murdered for being faithful. Now when I read that, I think, well, that's that's just not very fair. That'll give him a name like people are dumb or Israel is stubborn or something like that. But what we see here is that we can take hope that no matter how things work out for us, no matter how things work out for our ministry, no matter how things work out for the church, as long as we are faithful, it's worth it. As long as we are obedient to the word of God, to the mission that God has called us to, Regardless of opposition, regardless of what Satan may do, we can know this simple thing, that we can leave this world, we can step into paradise and know that we have pleased the one who saved us, the one who called us, the one who has equipped us. And so tonight I just want to point out three things from this text. It's too long to look at all of it, and so if you want a blessed read It is a wonderful book to read. It is probably, uh, with the exception of Daniel and maybe Ezekiel, the hardest to understand Old Testament book. It is full of prophecy. It is full of examples. It is very much like reading the book of Revelation. That is why I think that it is so important if you're going to read the book of Revelation that you should read this book because it talks so much about the future messianic kingdom. It talks so much about what Jesus is going to be like reigning and ruling on the earth and what I believe is that thousand years. But three things tonight I want to show you that I think is applicable to not only the children of Israel but to us today is we see God's warning and encouragement to His people. God never lets His people go astray without warning them. God never allows a marriage to go off the rails without God giving warnings. Never a relationship that is broken that God does not warn and correct. Never a church that has ever went astray that God did not warn and correct and encourage. And so here in Zechariah chapter 1, starting in verses 1 through 6, the Bible says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me. Says the Lord of hosts, And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor hear, heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so He has dealt with us. We see in this passage of Scripture the Lord is inviting them. He is inviting them as the first generation back into the promised land to not mistake the same mistakes that your grandparents made, that your parents made, that all the generations have made. He is inviting them to embrace the blessings that He had promised them. The blessings of the land, the blessing of the covenant, the blessing of all of these things. He says, return to me and I will return to you. It teaches us here that God is a God of love and mercy and compassion. And even though he had been wrong throughout all of the Jewish history, all of the people of God, and they rebelled, and they did all of the things, God says, I am still willing to bless you. I am still willing to work in your life, and in your families, and in your homes. And I read that, and it gives me great encouragement. It gives me great encouragement because I know when I fail God, when I disappoint God, when I doubt God, when I struggle in my relationship with the Lord, if I will return to Him, if I will come to Him in honesty and openness and say, Lord, here I am. I need You. Lord, I need Your mercy and grace. God, I need Your provision and Your protection. God, I need You that He is willing to hear from heaven and says, Here I am. There's not a wall, a divide. We see this great idea that God is willing to let us approach Him. And we know that is true in the New Testament because the veil of the temple was what? Torn. It wasn't concreted. It wasn't solidified. It was torn to show that the veil that separates us from God had been broken in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so now I can approach Him as Abba Father. I can approach Him with all of my sin and all of my shame and all of my heartbreak and all my regrets and all my disappointments. And the list goes on and on and on. And I can come and He says, Here I am. Return to me. And I will return to you. It is a great encouragement to us. It should have been a great encouragement to them. But what he then goes on to says, but don't forget. Your family didn't set a very good pattern. Don't be like them. Don't follow the same patterns of wickedness and stubbornness and regret that they had. Now that would be enough, but God just puts a little bit extra on here by saying, where are they now? He's saying they were in captivity. They're dead. The prophets are dead. Leaders rise and fall. Empires rise and fall. Pastors come and go. Deacons come and go. Sunday school teachers come and go. The person in your life that's causing you trouble comes and goes. But what God says is, My word and my statutes they are not changing. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Friends, you must base your life, your marriage, and this church on the simple truth that culture is going to change, situations are going to change, congregations are going to change, but the Lord is the same. His word does not change. His promises do not fail. His encouragement does not waver. The long arm of salvation does not grow weary. God is faithful in every way. And that's what He's telling them. He's telling them, trust me. Don't trust you. Don't trust your parents. Don't don't trust me. Watch what I can do in your life. Watch what I can do in your marriage. Watch what I can do in this nation. God says, come! Come and see. We see that in the New Testament when Jesus talks about the marriage supper, right? Go out into the highways and the byways and find everybody. Those who were invited didn't come. Bring them all in. The lame and the sick. We read that in the New Testament in the book of Revelation as it fins, finishes up with that great invitation. All who thirst, come! Come! Come, the Lord says, try me and see if I'm not good. Try me and see me if I'm not faithful. Put me to the test and watch how the Lord can work. You say, you're not supposed to test God. I didn't say in a sinful way. I said it in a trusting way. You go to him with your burdens. You go to him with your fears. You go to him with your insecurities. You take your burdens to the Lord because he literally said, right, bring it here. Bring your yoke to me. We see these wonderful promises to the nation of Israel. And you say, well, Jake, they were just a really good group of people. They really had earned the love of God. No, God just tells them, you and your family are dirty, rotten scoundrels. But I love you anyway. Why? Because God's promises never depend on you. They always depend on Him and who He is and His faithfulness and what He can do. And that should give us great encouragement when we commit our marriages to Him. And we say through sickness and through health, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, we are making that covenant, not between just two people, but we are making that covenant in the sight of God. And the Word of God says that God does something supernatural. God does something miraculous. He takes two and He puts them together. And then the warning is in the Scripture, let no man Tear asunder what God has put together. and Friends, we see these wonderful promises. And Zechariah is telling them, this is what God wants to do. This is how God wants to work. Now in chapters 1 through the end of chapter 16, for the sake of time, we won't look at them all, but you can read them. Zachariah begins to have dreams, crazy dreams. I mean, weird dreams. Dreams like you would have if you ate Mexican late at night, all right? Those kind of crazy dreams. We see in chapter 1, verses 8 and 17, and chapter 6, we see that this peace has been achieved. And they begin to ask, is it time for the Messiah to reign? Is it time for Him to set up His throne? We look in the next verses and in chapter 5 that the dream looks back to Israel's sin and all of the exile and the judgment. The next dream in, in Zechariah 2 and in Zechariah 5 is about the new Jerusalem and that all the nations of the world can see God's blessing on Israel and be a part of it. In chapters 3 and chapters 4 there are dreams and visions of the two leaders of Israel. Joshua and Zerubbabel. In chapter 6, we see the vision that foreshadows that Jesus will be both the high priest and the king. And you can look at those in detail on your own. Chapter 7 and 8, we see that it's time for the kingdom to come. And the messengers, the people of God, send a small group to to appear before Zechariah and to get a word from the Lord. And this is very important because we're getting ready to look at this. And he says, if you will do this, God will do this. He says, if you will do this, God will do this. And I want to show you the people respond to God. In Zechariah chapter 7, starting in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice... Show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Now those are pretty hard standards. We see the very same thing in the New Testament when Jesus is speaking to the rich young ruler. And he asks him one of the greatest two commandments. And he says, well, I've not cheated. I've not lied. I've done all of these things. And Jesus says, well, then go and sell all that you have and follow me. He gives them a standard that they cannot keep on their own. Why? Because God has always had a purpose and plan to redeem us. He knew our failures. He knew our faults. He knew our sins. But look what they said in verse 11. They didn't say, we'll give it a try. We'll give it everything we've got. Look what it says in verse 11. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders and stopped their ears so they could not hear. If you look at that in its simplest of form, they made the choice to refuse. Then they shrugged it off because they didn't care. And then they stopped their ears as a refusal to take any more correction. And friends, I want you to see that because that's the same pattern that all of us go through when God tries to lead us somewhere that we don't want to go. We eventually make the decision that I'm not going to listen to that. I know that's what God's word says. I know that's what's best, but I'm just not not doing it. Then we begin to say, well, it's not that big of a deal anyway, probably. There are not going to be consequences. God really doesn't care about little old me. And then we just stop listening. It's that hardening of the heart, the hardening of what God would want for us in our response. And tonight, the greatest piece of advice I can ever give you is when you hear the Word of God, you disagree with the Word of God, do not go to sleep with it. I don't care if you have to stay up all night studying the Scriptures. I don't care if you have to stay up all night listening to sermons. Never let yourself be okay with sleeping and being in disagreement with God. It's the same way why you should never go to bed angry. Now, I, we, I go to bed angry a lot, and I'm not proud of that. But friends, what I'm telling you is time will do two things to you. It'll either cause you to mellow out and realize that you were a jerk, or two, it will cause you to harden your heart. Well, who do they think they are? I wasn't that mad when I first heard of it. Boy, the more I sit here and stew about it, boy, that really just burns me up. And what you see is that begins to work. And then it's, well, if that's how they're going to be, I just don't care. We shrug off our shoulders. I don't care what it does to them. I don't care how they respond. It's my life. I'll do what I want. I'm part of this marriage. I I can do what I want. And then we stop our ears entirely. And what does that mean? This is what I believe it means. I believe the Lord never just reaches out to us one time. I believe He is gently drawing and working and moving in our hearts. He is long-suffering. God warns us, hey, you can't treat your wife that way. Hey, you can't spend money that way. Hey, you can't talk that way. Hey, you can't look at that stuff. You, You can't go that direction. The gentle nudging of the Spirit of God. You say, I wish God would just slap me silly. No, you don't. You say that because it makes you sound good in Sunday school. But what we see here is you get to a point where it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong or what anyone says to you, you're not listening. That's all right, I'm right, you're wrong. We can get so angry, it doesn't even matter if someone has a valid point, their intention is good, and we know that we agree with them, we've made up our mind. I'm going this way and it doesn't matter. I want you to look up here. That's where you put yourself in a place that God is going to correct you and it will not be pleasant. I don't care if it's your marriage. I don't care if it's a church. I don't care if it's a pastor. When we see ourselves in this place, we're in danger of the corrective judgment of God. You say, man, Jake, can this get any more discouraging? Just wait right here. It's going to get better. The last thing I want to show you tonight. The Lord's promise for a glorious future that they could not earn. They've just told God, "Now we'll do it our way. Chapter 8, it talks about the beauty of the new Jerusalem. Chapter 9, we begin to see that God is still going to defend Israel. That God has a purpose and a plan for them. And I'll tell you how encouraging it gets because in chapter 9... He begins to talk about the Messiah. He begins to talk about this stubborn, wicked group of people, but yet he is going to send Jesus. There is a way that everything can be made right. Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9, we see, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. It's talking about Palm Sunday. Jesus coming into the city. If I was God, I'd say, I don't want nothing to do with you people. I'll go deal with the Chinese. Man! You just told me after everything I've done for you, every promise I've given you, every invitation I've given you, that you've just stuck your nose up to me and said, We don't want anything to do with you. I'd have said, Well, fine, have it your way. But God promised them something. They are his people. And he says, You know what? I've got an offer that ultimately you cannot refuse. Or you can refuse it for a season but I'm going to prove my love and mercy to sinners. and I'm going to send Jesus. Now what we see here is the first coming of Jesus. Starting in Zechariah chapter 9 in verses 10 through 17, we see what he's going to be like when he comes again. Starting in verse 10 it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I will declare that I will restore double to you. Wait a second. Two chapters ago they said we don't want you, God. And God says, I'm going to send the Messiah that can save you. We're going to look how they're going to reject Him. But there is coming a day that everything you've lost, I'm going to doubly bless you for it. For I have bent Judah, my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. Then the Lord will be seen over them. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. Their Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people. For they shall be like the jewels of a crown, lifted like a banner over his land. For how great is its goodness and how great its beauty. Grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. What he's talking about here is what I believe is when the Lord comes back and destroys his enemies at the battle of Armageddon, And he sets up this 1,000-year millennial reign. He says, in this period, everything the Jewish people have lost, everything they have suffered, that now that they have turned back to Christ during the tribulation period, God says, I'm going to make it all right because I'm faithful even when you were not faithful. You say, well, Jake, I don't agree with that. Well, glad I got one more verse for you. Zechariah 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his brown. He's talking about the Jewish people. When they came and dealt with the Messiah the first time they crucified him. They rejected him. They denied him. But during that great time of tribulation when the Lord reaches down and begins to save the Jewish people and that halfway point of the tribulation where the the desolation of the temple occurs and the Jewish people trust Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. He says, in that time, you're going to know that I've been faithful because you pierced him. But on that day, you're going to mourn because you realize that you were wrong. You're going to realize that you rejected the Messiah, but I have been faithful. That's what gives me great hope. Because God just keeps reaching out. He just keeps saying, I'm going to make a way. Can the Jew be saved any other way other than Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. You must be born again. But friends, God is not done with the Jewish people. And it's not because of them. It is because God is going to be standing up and saying, they were dirty, they were rotten, they were wicked, but yet I... Was faithful. You see, that's not very fair. Look up here. That's the same thing he did for you and me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. His nature has always been long-suffering, merciful, gracious. Even when he sends correction, it's done out of love. Even when he disciplines, he disciplines out of love. And friends, when I read a book like Zechariah, and I don't understand half of what's in it, what I do see is that the name matters. The Lord remembers. And who does the Lord remember? His people, His promises, and His plan. And friends, today you might be looking at your life going, boy, I have had some Israel moments. Man, I've done some dumb things. I have failed God. I have disappointed God. I have struggled in my walk with the Lord. Look up. The message that God has to you is: return, return, and watch what the Lord can do. You say, "Well, Jake, our family is really—we've just let Satan get in our marriage and our kids. Satan—we just God's message to you. I give you one guess. It's one word. Return. Oh, come on. You had a 12-minute sermon this morning and a 20-minute sermon tonight. It just can't make you happy anymore. Return. Return. No matter how broken, no matter how messed up, no matter what the struggle is, the Lord's message is return. And that should cause us great hope to know that the Lord is faithful even when we are not. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know I joke and tease and, Lord, stutter and stammer, but Lord, I just pray tonight that your word has been proclaimed. Lord, I'm thankful for your faithfulness. Lord, I don't know why you love us. I don't know why you put up with us. God, I have no idea, but you do. Lord, I'm thankful for your mercy and grace that we can have freely. Lord and I, and I pray that you would humble each and every one of us to reflect on our lives and to run to you. Run to you before it is too late. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, thank you for showing us how you can love a group of stubborn and difficult people like you have, the nation of Israel. And Lord, let it give us hope that you are faithful to the very end. Father, tonight I pray for anyone in this room that's not saved. They've never trusted you as the Lord and Savior of their life. That tonight would be that night. That the Holy Spirit would deal with them, draw them, and God save them. Father, for the believer that's struggling with doubt, fear, whatever other sin that's in their life tonight, God, I pray that you change them. Lord, we've been going book by book here, week by week. It's no accident that you have us here for a reason. Whatever that reason is, Lord, I do not know, but I will trust you with it. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a church that considers itself a house of prayer as we seek your will and direction for our lives. And, Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.